0: I'm Louise
1: and I'm Camille,
0: your hosts of the Feminist Book Chat Paris, a podcast that explores both feminist literature and feminist issues, both past and present. Um, So today we're going to talk about Dear Ijaweli by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. This book just felt like the obvious choice for our first Shakespeare & Co book club session and we were so happy that everyone had so much to say about it during the two-hour discussion. I think it's safe to say that there is a lot of love for this author, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, in the room.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Right? Uh, Last year, um, the very same week that I bought We Should All Be Feminists, Kemi actually bought me Americana as a Christmas present. Um, I think for me... Uh she's such a great podcast guest, interviewee, novelist, public speaker, so on, so on, so on. So much of what I love about her is how she explains things very simply, but also lays incredibly solid feminist foundations. Um, for example, her, cap- her capacity of being simple with her words, honest with her thoughts, and humble
1: in every way always manages to astonish me. Definitely. So we picked the book for several reasons, Um, first it's short, it's a welcome change um, from the Western feminist narrative that dominates the scene. In terms of format, the author is Nigerian and wrote wrote this book as an answer to another female Nigerian friend who asks for advice on how to raise her soon-to-be-born child with feminist principles. So it's short, it's clear, it's concise, and it makes an accessible introduction to the theme of, to the theme of gender equality. Because yeah. we're not interested, obviously, in those how to raise your children to be perfect uh, books. Uh, first, because kids aren't like an IKEA kid. <laughs> they ain't no user manual. <laughs> and also, um, because most of them are all written by men. Yeah, uh. indeed. Uh, men giving advice on motherhood Oh, well. So picking this book also helped establish where our book club members saw themselves on the feminist spectrum, Mm -hmm. because the FBC insists on being as diverse as possible in all ways, which means our members come from everywhere in terms of country, education, background, identities. And so everyone has a different type of relationship to feminism, right? So having an accessible book to open up a session at Shakespeare & Co seemed more relevant in order to make everyone feel comfortable in speaking. Um, so whether they're gender studies, uh, master student, as well as new- newbies to feminism, or members who identify with the Nigerian culture toward women, et cetera. Yeah,
0: it was, I, th- I feel like everyone there very much related to something Oh, everything in the book, Yeah, yeah so definitely. I think, yeah. High five to us. <laughs> um, okay, so if we go a little bit deeper and talk about some of the themes that um, come up in the book that resonated with us and that we ended up discussing uh, during the Shakespeare and Co uh, session, um, I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, biology. So, for the book context, uh, this is the 11th suggestion out of 15 that Chimamanda has for her friend. Um, the top line message basically is that biology is often used to explain the privileges that men hold in society. The most common one being their physical superiority. Um, So in the book, the author um, shares an example of this. Um, One of her friends who is from the Igbo ethnic group of Nigeria is married to a man from the Yoruba ethnic group of Nigeria and they're going to have a child and this woman is thinking about names for her future child and she only selects names from her husband's Um, ethnic group so she completely disregards Mm. her identity in a way Mm -mm -mm. Um, so I thought that was a really uh, interesting starting point that is very specific to the author's culture and the friend that she is writing to I think you had, uh, did you have something to say on that? Uh, probably right after. I oh, think. Okay, cool. Because uh, otherwise I could just like blabber on and on for ages. <laughs> um, I think in terms of biology and the differences between male and female, uh, something that came immediately to my mind um, was this slut shaming of women. Yeah. Uh, when you consider that women's st- still have to endure online abuse, media sexualization, and revenge porn, you know, simply for having a healthy sexual appetite or saying very clearly that they like sex. Whereas men having many sexual partners is still equated with male power, this idea of domination, Mm -mm. and also linked to their virility. Whereas as a woman um, and as a young girl, I feel like it is hammered into us from a very early age that it is unladylike for a woman to display the same kind of attitude towards sex. And for me, that just introduces double standards, which on closer inspection are a social construct that we can absolutely do something about and change.
1: Yeah, definitely. And actually, I feel like the biology and the f- physical capacity is yeah. often used because it has been interiorized for a million mm. years. So there's like women who endure and men who decide. Um, and the yeah. old principle of vir- virility and being a man is about control, right? Yeah. And that domination
0: aspect. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: And so where men control their lives, it is rooted in the collective mind that women endure. They endure the period, they endure pregnancy, emotions. And so on. Yeah. So this whole passage makes makes much sense.
0: Absolutely. I think something else as well that um, to to keep talking about the biology is this idea that caregiving is considered a predu- predominantly female responsibility. Mm-mm. I would say throughout the world. I think that's you know something on a global kind of level that is relevant. Um so actually I had a quick look at uh, paternity leave mm-hmm. in Nigeria it it doesn't actually exist for now no. yeah and well. um a, a recent very recently a bill requesting 2 weeks paid paternity leave was just rejected by the Nigerian parliament um according to the lawmakers they rejected this bill because The men should be out trying to provide for the upkeep of the family rather than staying at home. (laughs) Yeah, so that's not great. But it gets even better when you hear the argument of the men putting forward the bill, trying to get this bill passed. Um, Their argument was no better person can support a newly born baby than the father Which will make the child more emotionally stable if the father stays close.
1: Oh my god, that's exactly what I was saying about the emotion like women enduring emotion (sighs) well men are able to control it. Yeah,
0: I just think in both those arguments there is a clear domination that the father is yes. the better parent Definitely. for whatever reason and the woman is totally invisible Mm-mm. so as you say she can endure the pregnancy and the pain of giving birth fine but when it comes to the emotional uh, well-being of the child or the financial well-being of the child Watch, that apparently the that, ho- that that just falls a hundred percent on the father and the mother is not there which wow biology that did not work out for <laughs> women very well, <laughs> apparently. Um though the for women in the in in Nigeria, uh, it's the same as in as women in France. It's just been increased from three months to four months paid Mm-mm. maternity leave. But uh yes. So that was my piece on biology. What about uh, language? Yes, oh wow. So we we spoke about this a lot um in the session, didn't we? Yeah we spoke I about her
1: her tone of voice and her And I feel like anyway the language will be some key part of any book we read. Yes,
0: I agree because it's how you talk about feminism and how that's going to resonate with us as readers. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. definitely. So, um, something that really impresses me about the author is her ability to express herself on the topic of feminism. Uh, Several book club members noted during our session that the language she uses is obviously carefully considered but it still packs a punch. Uh, Many of us actually admitted to finding it a struggle to find the words or express ourselves as calmly as the author in challenging real life situations. So we actually got some time to, to discuss our past reactions to situations where men had behaved inappropriately or tried to exert their power over us. Basically, it was a bit of a therapy session, so
1: that <laughs> felt good. It was really interesting also, because you, you could find out that you're not alone in having a hard time yeah. justifying, or just be like, how do I say who I am? And... Yeah,
0: it's always nice to feel like it's not just me, Mm-mm. even though it's very sobering to think, oh, God, it's all of us. We're all in
1: this. And and it's all about like evidence stuff that should be easy to say. I know. I um, know. But that are actually really hard. Anyway. Really keep hard it
0: in, mind. in real life. Um so throughout her manifesto, uh, the author keeps coming back to the importance of language, uh, for example, in relac- you know, especially in relation to raising your child as a feminist. Um, so on page 27 of the English version, she advises her friend to break down misogynistic behavior instead of just labeling it as misogynistic, i.e. don't reduce sexist behavior to jargon. Because if you do, then it won't help a young person fully understand why a certain behavior is not right. And therefore, they won't know that it's something that they can address right away and call out. So I found that very powerful. And she also points out the importance of providing children with the correct language to talk about sex with their own parents or with other adults. Um, something I personally appreciated was the point she made about not shaming our daughters in regards to how they dress. So if her clothes are considered too revealing by society standards, the solution is not to call her immoral or liken her to a sex worker. Mm-hmm. By doing so, you are, A, suggesting that the way she dresses is directly linked to her morality, which is nonsense and b you're implying that sex work is something to be ashamed of now i personally feel that this kind of talk has contributed to women around the world thinking they are responsible for being raped which could not be further from the truth
1: definitely and also in this part what i could underline is um at some point Shimamenda did she advises her friend on specific sentences uh, we tell our girls like um, oh you deserve to get married and and so she points out that she points out that marriage should obviously be a desire for women yeah. and not something she deserve or doesn't deserve. So it's all about the individual women's desire and it just highlights the fact that reality is shaped by our language mm. and that therefore the language is political. Mm. Yes. And and I think all these examples uh, make it really clear that we don't realize when we do say these things, No. we think we're doing good to them, uh, giving them a compliment about deserving or not to be married and forgetting all about women's desire, actually.
0: Absolutely. It's like the end goal for women is to get married, mm-hmm. is to be the marrying type. That's it. So, yeah. Um, This is my last point on language before I hand over to you, Camille. Um, Something that came up, um, some anti-feminist French language uh, tidbit that came to light during the course of our book club discussion, which now that I think about it is so crazy because we've been doing this for years, mm-hmm. um, there is a rule, there's a grammatical rule in French called le masculin l'emporte toujours sur le féminin. Which basically means that the the, the, the male always trumps the female because in the French language you have um, inanimate objects are male or female. Um, and so if we put this, if we explain this in a real life context, if you're a group of say 10 people and eight of you are women, Two of you are men. You will be referred to with the male plural uh-huh. pronoun, so ils, they, but the male version, and not elle. Yeah, that's Can crazy. Me, this is
1: your language. <laughs> Explain this that's to her. That's us. crazy, and it's so true. And being French, it never appeared crazy to me. Like I, I could never see it. It's just something. It just everything so internalized. we internalized. So, so internalized, internalized. <laughs> uh, and also like. S- not to justify that also English have, have, have bad points, but <laughs> I realized a few weeks ago uh, that one word in English has kind of the same effect um, is like when you say you're straight as in sexuality as in sexuality I yeah like I just at some point I was like, wait, straight. So like when you're straight, uh, it means it means so much. so like you're straight, you're following the line, you're going. Right in the you're, right direction. Yeah, like you're on
0: the right path.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so I told my my father was like, Oh my God, in English they say straight? Yeah. That's terrible. And I said, Oh, never noticed before. Um so I, I thought it was No, that's a really good point. Language.
0: And like that's also a revelation for me mm-hmm. in the same way that this, this French grammatical rule uh, was a revelation. It's like, yeah, if you're not straight then you're somehow deviant or exactly. on
1: the wrong path. Totally it which is not nice. Happy to know now. Okay, Um, so what are
0: you gonna talk to us about?
1: I'm gonna talk about um, a part she talks about, about being in the shadow, like women stepping back, uh, underselling them. So at some point the authors highlight the way women unconsciously reinforce stereotypes and gender inequality in raising a child. And when I say unconsciously, I mean that the behavior has become normal as time has made up our minds on the world di- distribution, kind of. So she highly recommends her friend never to banish them, never to, to say, wow, mm. um, when the dad turns up for a school run, when he babysits for their own child. Yeah, so and this is
0: something that I have totally heard um, totally heard and totally used myself of in course, my group of, of friends course. who are mothers you know oh is it the dad babysitting tonight
1: we all been there at okay some good line. good yeah. not just me but no. that
0: i am not doing that anymore
1: yeah same so uh translating from the french version um uh the author says so let him do it restrain your perfectionism silence your socially conditioned sense of duty if he ta- if he tasks if the task relates to the education of the child are equitably distributed, you will know it. You will know it because you will not have the slightest resentment. Because when equality is real, wanker does not exist.
0: Yeah, that very much hit a nail on the head for me. Exactly. I, I mean I, I don't have I don't have children. Um, but just in in any relationship it's a team, Mm -mm. it's teamwork. And, you know, to be a woman doesn't mean that you should just be doing all the hoovering and the ironing all the time. You know, my boyfriend does his own ironing, that is his. And in terms of cooking, it's something that over the years, it tended to be more him who did Mm -hmm. a lot of the cooking at home, and now it is much more equal. So there's absolutely nothing wrong in asking your partner for help to do something around the house or with the kids, Mm -mm. Um, and just to recognise that that should be the norm. That it's it's give and take. Exactly. You know, I think that's that's what I got out of it. Exactly. Um, So yeah, again, just another great example of her putting things Uh, in a context that immediately understandable.
1: Yeah. And I mean, how many times have we heard he's helping his wife so much? He oh, even yeah. feeds the baby. This is so cute. Oh. I mean, ridiculous. How yes. many times has a woman thanked her husband for helping raise the child? And how many times have we told ourselves these thoughts are ridiculous? I don't think enough. I agree. Because I remember that these few lines spoke to everyone Yeah. as we talked about it. Uh, during the FBC session. And this is once again a demonstration of the author's success in using simple facts, simple words, and showing us how easy we fall into the trap of a binary constructed behavior. Mm. And so it's like, it's funny and exasperating at the same time because you read it, you realize, and you just feel like you were just born yesterday. And really, you're just really screwed by this system, right? Yeah. So it just just feels like, good to know, and then, it's good to How know. I, not know I know,
0: it's good to know. Then you kind of get a bit frustrated with yourself yeah. or being in the system. Exactly. But then it's also very liberating to say, "Aha, uh-huh, now I know," Mm-mm. and I'm really going to work on, you know, keeping myself in check and, yeah. and and not contributing to that system of like this is the norm,
1: let's all do this. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So another ex- example of uh women underselling themselves is about uh you know this like very f- famous sentence behind every good man there's a woman in the shadow. Mm. So she talks about Theresa May her husband allowing her to have a career mm. and this whole position of like permission and power. Mm. So um I think it's really it's really interesting, and there's Virginia Woolf in the book Room of One's Own, uh, a novel we had the opportunity to discuss in one of our previous sessions that is, by the way, an absurd <laughs> necessity for your bookshelf totally agree. if you didn't read it yet. Yeah. And so in her book, I'm just picking a quote. Uh, she says, for centuries, women have served men being their mirrors. They possessed the magical and delicious power of reflecting an image of men twice its size. Mm. Um, I think this quote highlights oh, wow. brightly how women have always been considered as the great power hidden behind a man, giving him the possibility to shine while yeah. she makes sure everything else is managed and that the shit is actually getting done. Right. Um,
0: but she never really gets to step up and. Oh, no, no, no. You no. know, like yeah, well, Let's be careful be about that. Or And you know, acknowledged I mean, you know she thing. doesn't
1: control her emotions, so let's make sure she's. <laughs> right, like. yeah, so we can't trust what she's saying anyway, so. Yeah. And, and also about, like, the man allowing her, uh, allowing the woman to mm. shine in society. The word allow to do this, allow her to do this, is again, it's like language subconsciously referen- yeah. references referencing to power. Yeah. Um, the husband here, by allowing, gives permission, he holds the power to decide of one's life. And so it's, it's just another example of how badly we've been conditioned to believe power is masculine and women having it is just an atrocity we don't want to see
0: yeah or that yes that it's a threat
1: yeah that exactly a, yeah that it's a so threat. so we would better you know, keep her back yeah giving her some back. role but definitely in the back.
0: well kind of like the biology thing it's and, and tradition as well can be used like mm-hmm. in that way as well of they're all used as weapons to keep women down or say oh well you can't do that because you yeah. know <laughs> biology <laughs> the
1: f- and after, it's, it's another eng- example that actually can fit in the leg- language part is about addressing powerful women by their first name, but you'd never do that with a guy. So, like, yeah. clear, easy examples um, the president, um, Emmanuel Macron, that we will just call Macron, and her wife, that everyone will just call Brigitte. Same for the Obama couple, um, Barack and Michelle. Mm. So, it's also an example of con- unconscious and collective social sexism. Mm. So back at it, in inter- <laughs> innerized inter- cultural construction that makes it okay to happen this way. Yeah. It's like discreditating um, that could appear as like friendly or like, yeah. it's okay, it's not bad, I'm not being mean by saying that. Yeah. And considering the importance of language, words in power positions, these details, as we could call them, uh, actually matter.
0: Yeah, to, to just kind of uh, expand your point one step further, in the book, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie talks about Twitter, people's mm-hmm. tw- famous people's Twitter profiles. And she makes the comparison of Hillary and Bill Clinton. Yeah. So I think Hillary's uh, Twitter bio mentions first and foremost that she's a wife or a mother. It's like it's either wife Mother, da da, or mother, wife. Yeah. Whereas Bill Clinton's Twitter bio obviously doesn't have a reference to him being a father or a husband. Um, so again, that idea of women having to present themselves as domestic Mm-mm. to 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 soften or to um, appear less threatening to men.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that was that, something That's we it. So. Um, and back to what he was saying to like proving the existence of feminism to people you know mm. like proving some stuff and having a hard time to explain and justify your choices like that. yeah towards that feminism.
0: calling it out and and the behavior yeah yeah
1: i feel just like if men spoke about feminism um people would listen and because they have a louder voice mm-hmm. in the societies yeah and and if men wanted opportunity leave, live that get it they, they would get it uh, yes. also and so i got an example from Michel foucault who's a french philosopher who spent time and time theorizing power and the complex relationship between power and knowledge. And he says very justly that speech is the place of power, and words do have a major impact. So when it comes to having to prove feminism necessity, as weird as it seems, it often appears very complicated because what word to choose, what argument mm. to pick. And yeah. where do you start? One, because you easily lose all credit if you show any sign of doubt. or And second also because how difficult is it to put word on something that appears so evident?
0: Yes, I think that resonates with me a lot um, because, and I think this is what we talked about, isn't it, in, in the book club session part of the frustration about expressing ourselves on this topic is that isn't it obvious mm. it, why do we have to explain it why do we have to fight for this whereas actually you know dear joe explains demonstrates perfectly that we do this is our this is our current day battle this yeah. is what we have to do we have to find the language we have to find the words and You know, I think uh, what you've just said, I I am aware of uh, Michel Foucault, but I haven't uh, read uh, a lot of of his stuff. Um, I think what he says is very um, on point. Uh, I would also say that an extra challenge, perhaps, for women is even having, finding that platform to speak. Mm -hmm. to express themselves. Of course. Um, You know, it's men in the past, uh, throughout history, who have had more access to education, more rights, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that was something that...
1: um, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think it's important to say that for women, it's another challenge to add up to their list. Yes, definitely. And also um, the fact that there's definitely a fear from men of women of feminism and what they could say do and change because changing the established social order and bringing something indomitable even by a strong inner masculinity is Mm. something like it's big it's just like moving stuff and yeah So, so it could appear as a challenge. Um, So that's it for this part. And there's actually a last part we would like to talk to you about. Uh, It's about the patronizing element of men who champion women. So why?
0: Because just sorry, just before you start, as you were saying like a couple of minutes ago, um, if men, and and when men, because there are some feminist men there, Mm -hmm. and. You know when they speak or if they spoke up with you know good feminist language then people would listen but instead i believe what you're going to talk about what we have is this patronizing element of men they're not getting up and speaking for us and with us they're kind of speaking down to us
1: mm, yeah exactly that's, is that i think I, I understood that that's yeah. it so like to give you guys an example um, you know doing like for Women's Day, a lot of boss in companies hands out roses for their female employees, Ugh. but they actually miss the point. I mean, they think they're nice and cute and contributing, but women would 100 times prefer to be paid the same as their male counterpart, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's as simple as that.
1: Not to sound bitchy, but this type of genuine-looking action um, it looks nice, but it really isn't. Because yeah. by glorifying women this way, we just highlight our distinctive differences. And we make them asset to deepen the role distribution and gender differences. So the point here is to underline that even if the law change and the woman's condition evolve on paper, the citizenship is always articulated on a kind of heterosexual unconscious. Mm-hmm and the structures and th- schemes of thoughts are always affiliated to the natural law yeah. and yet or norms remain super super strong yeah. so so here the message chimameda wants to give um, is that this is paternalistic to say women should be helped celebrated etc because all we want is to be treated as equal and also like when you go on manifestation um, there's always some people who will highlight the fact that we're not here to celebrate women, like for Women's March, and so we're here to fight, we're here to change things, and Definitely. people need to understand that we don't go on the street just to just to celebrate the fact of being a woman, we're, on the, we're in the street shouting because we want things to change, yeah. we want our situation to evolve, and we want it to be the last time we have to go on the street. Um, I
0: know. I mean, we know it won't be the last time. So but I we have to, yeah. But sometimes people very don't understand. Points. Yeah. Very good point. Very good distinction there.
1: Yeah. So that's it. I think for the, um, the deep dive discussion, yes, kind of. Yeah. I think we, we said the like big big parts and exactly. and key elements. Yes. Um, I would agree.
0: So I think if we were going to. Um, think if we were going to wrap it up, should we share like our-
1: Our key takeaways. Our key takeaways?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it okay if I go first? Okay, yeah. <laughs> of of thank you. Okay, so I think there were two things for me that I have taken away since reading this book and I try and apply them when I feel it's necessary. The first one is at the beginning of the book. So it's page eight of the English version. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie sets two key principles. She calls them her two feminist tools. Um, So I'm gonna share them with you here. The first is your premise, the solid and bending belief that you start off with. What is your premise? Your feminist premise should be, I matter. I matter equally. Not if only. Not as long as. I matter equally. Full stop. I, yeah, I just love that. And if I do have children one day, then yeah, they'll be getting that.
1: Yeah, and this (laughs) is just why we love the book also, because like from first page, she's just,
0: Yeah, from the first page, this is it, this is what you should do, boom. So that's one of her feminist tools. And the second one, which is equally powerful, it's a question. Can you reverse X and get the same results? For example, many people believe that a woman's feminist response to a husband's infidelity should be to leave. But I think staying can also be a feminist choice, depending on the context. If your husband sleeps with another woman and you forgive him, would the same be true if you slept with another man? If the answer is yes, then your choosing to forgive him can be a feminist choice because, mm-hmm. it, because it is not shaped by a gender inequality. Yeah. Again, that just was...
1: It's really interesting.
0: I was like, why have I only read this book at the age of 32? (laughs) I am really behind. You just said your Um, age on (laughs) it. Oh, yeah, it's fine. I assume it. I assume it. I owe my age. Um, So that would be... So those two feminist tools are something that I have definitely taken away with me. And the last one, before I hand over to Camille, is um, something to instill in your children. It's an advice she gives to instill in your children. And she says, please note that I am not suggesting that you raise her to be non-judgmental, which is a commonly used expression these days and which slightly worries me. The general sentiment behind the idea is a fine one, but non-judgmental can easily devolve into meaning, don't have an opinion about anything or I keep my opinions to myself. Which is dangerous, right? And so, instead of that, what I hope for your daughter is this, that she will be full of opinions and that her opinions will come from an informed, humane, and broad-minded place. My God, Again, that for me was just, you know, I mean, I've taken all of this book with me, but those were my two
1: top... Things that I wanted to share. I think you just picked the best lines. Oh, that's um <laughs> so I decided not to pick lines because obviously you picked the best one. Um, wow. Well. but just like in a more general context, uh-huh. I think this author is a great storyteller with a yes. particularly astute. Yes. And there's always a human context that is relatable, like human relationships, people's name. Yeah. Um and at the same time, she's humble but realistic. Like, she sh- she just says it, like, this is going to be tough for you as a mother. And it's going to be tough for you, daughter, to be a feminist. Mm. Um, but she's helping the best way, I think, being clear, concise, true, Definitely. not like, trying to make it more smooth or or trying to judge. And no, and she's a- very
0: realistic, isn't she?
1: Exactly, and sh- so she says what she wants without tying herself I- up in notes. Yeah, very to the point. Um, so I think it's great, and also she highlights that it hasn't been easy for her to put on paper um, s- like few advice on yeah. how to be feminist because it seems like, as we were saying, it seems really evident for her, but like, yeah. as she tries to explain them in simple ways, has been difficult for her, so yeah. I can just say thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank basically, you. merci, thank you. a big yeah, thank merci. you
0: to this author and to everyone who came to the session and shared their stories with us and their experiences. Honestly, it was such a great one to start with because oh, yes. there was just so much chat. So you'll be able to find in the show notes, accompanying the podcast, some further reading, if you will, or further listening that complements our reading of Dear Ijaweli. So whether that's interesting articles, or podcasts, or books, we'll also link to the author's website in case you're not aware of her and would like to discover more of her. Um, And also here's where you can follow what we're up to online. So you can
1: find us on Instagram
0: at the FBC Paris. Please tweet us your questions or feminist book recommendations at the FBC Paris. You can also find the sign up link to the Shakespeare sessions and our newsletter in both our Twitter and Instagram bios.
1: Yay! So we'll be back in two weeks talking about King Kong Theory by the French feminist author Virginie Despentes. Can't wait! Yay!